Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up in this Thursday's edition of Catholic View is our woman feature. And this evening we focus on women in business. But first, I'd like us to stay in touch with what's been happening in Africa and in the Catholic Church today. So do stay tuned as I bring you up to date with some of the latest news headlines. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Thursday evening, UN calls for dialogue between Burundi government and opposition. Boko Haram violence compounds long-term development failures and women's role in Africa's security. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. The Archdiocese of Huen in northern France held a special mass yesterday to mark the first anniversary of the assassination of the 85-year-old parish priest, Father Jacques Hamel. He was killed by two Islamist militants who stormed his parish church as he celebrated mass. Philippa Hitchin of Vatican Radio tells us more. Catholics in France are remembering the life and legacy of Father Hamel, whose throat was slit by the attackers, later identified as Islamist militants. The assailants, who also took several parishioners hostage, were shot dead by police. At the exact same time that the attack took place one year ago, the Archbishop of Rouen, Dominique Lebrun, celebrated Mass at the Church of Saint-Étienne de Rouvray. The service was followed by a public commemoration and the unveiling of a memorial stone, with French President Emmanuel Macron and Prime Minister Edouard Philippe among those paying tribute to the slain priest. In an interview with Vatican Radio's Olivier Bonnel, Archbishop Lebrun said that Father Hamel, whose beatification process is already underway, has left an indelible spiritual heritage for the whole church and beyond. The Archbishop said that paradoxically since his death, Father Jacques Hamel has seemed more alive than ever before. He said that while there is still a strong sense of grief and mourning. The priest's death has also brought together people of very different political opinions. Archbishop Lebrun said the first fruit of the wound left by Father Hamel's death is peace between people whose hearts are transformed as they perceive that they are united on the same spiritual journey. On the Sunday following the attack last year, Muslims in many French towns and cities attended Mass to pray and show their support for the grieving family and the community of saint Archbishop Lebrun said Muslim leaders in France and the vast majority of believers declared this terrorism, this is not Islam. At the same time, they can see that the terrorists are using Islam for their own ends and therefore the attack has marked a turning point in the decisions taken by the Muslim communities to stand up and work harder to root out radicalism. 
And now on to African news. It is imperative that the government of Burundi agree to an inclusive dialogue with the opposition. That's the message UN Special Envoy Michael Kafandu told the Security Council on Wednesday, briefing ambassadors on his recent visit to the country and neighboring Tanzania. Joslin Sambira has more. Landlocked Burundi has been experiencing more than two years of political turmoil and violence in the wake of President Pierre Nkurunziza's decision to run for a third term. Scores have been killed while hundreds of thousands of citizens have fled the country. Mr. Kafando said Burundi's leaders and opposition have diverging views on the country's political situation. He called for collective action by African leaders in solidarity with the UN to support any dialogue. Three international rights experts have been appointed by the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights to examine grave abuses in the Kasai region of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, DRC. The development follows the adoption of a resolution by the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva in June. Daniel Johnson reports. Violence in DRC's Kasai region between local Kamwina and Sapo militia and government troops dates back to August last year, and clashes are still happening. Well over a million people have been displaced and many dozens of mass graves have been uncovered. The UN Human Rights Office, OHCHR, has also documented reports of summary executions and other killings, including children. Three international experts will now start to follow up on these allegations. Bakra Ndi from Senegal, Luc Cote from Canada and Fatimata Mbe from Mauritania. Here's OHCHR spokesperson Ravina Shamdasani. So the team has been mandated to collect information to determine the facts and circumstances, including by visiting the sites where these violations are alleged to have taken place. So we count on the cooperation of the government of the DRC to facilitate these visits and access to the country, to the sites, to relevant people. And it's also very important that the government understands that this team of experts has been mandated to look into violations committed regardless of who the perpetrators are. High Commissioner Zaid plans to present an update on the situation in the Kasais to the Human Rights Council in March next year. The UN Secretary-General has condemned the killing of two UN peacekeepers in the Central African Republic on Wednesday. The Moroccan soldiers were escorting a humanitarian convoy in the southeastern city of Bangasu when they were ambushed. The incident brings to nine the number of peacekeepers killed in service in the border town since the beginning of the year. Jocelyn Sambira reports. In a statement released by his deputy spokesman, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres urged the Central African authorities to swiftly investigate Tuesday's attack on UN peacekeepers in Bangasu. He also asked them to look into previous killings of UN soldiers serving with the UN mission MINUSCA without delay and to bring the perpetrators to justice. Mr. Guterres expressed deep concern over the fighting in the southeast of the Central African Republic heightened inter-ethnic tensions and efforts by spoilers to derail the stabilization process in the country. If allowed to continue, he warned, the prevailing situation risks undermining the hard-won gains achieved towards lasting peace. The Secretary General concluded by calling on all parties to cease violence and to take action to avoid a further deterioration of the fragile security situation in the country. Northeast Nigeria's problems are principally due to long-term development failures compounded by a Boko Haram terrorist insurgency that's provoked a crisis of global magnitude. 
That's the view of UN Development Program UNDP Resident Representative for Nigeria Edward Kalon. The problems in Northeast are due principally to development failures over the years, which have been compounded by human rights, governance deficit, poverty, and climate vulnerabilities. And of course, the Boko Haram insurgency. Correct. We are dealing with a crisis of global magnitude in Northeast Nigeria as a result of the Boko Haram insurgency, which started way back in 2009, and uh, an estimated 20,000 people have been killed as a result of that insurgency. We are talking about a serious protection concern with uh, over 1.9 million people displaced, 14 million people affected, of which 8.5 million people need urgent humanitarian assistance. But the crisis should be also seen as an opportunity, an opportunity in the sense to try for once again to look at the root causes of that crisis. It's interesting that you say that the development deficit was there and has been there for many decades. It seems. For many, many and decades. The, the insurgency has just exposed that. It's that the insurgency has just compounded it. We started off with a very clear vision in northeast Nigeria to try to save lives in the short term, but try to build it around a resilience-based approach. And we define resilience in the northeast Nigeria as an approach where we can help people to cope with the impact of the crisis, the Boko Haram insurgency, and also support them to recover from those impacts of this crisis and engage in transformative change. The United Nations Development Programme came in with, to link the transition from humanitarian assistance into early recovery and longer-term development. What is it that you need most to happen in the next few months in order to, to help to uh, really dampen down effectively the effects of the insurgency and the return of these many hundreds of thousands of people? We need peace. We need a solution to the Boko Haram insurgency. And we also need a political process uh, to complement the ongoing military effort so that we can try to engage with all parties <clears throat> to this conflict to find durable solutions. And uh, we also need some levels of investment, especially from the government of Nigeria, to support uh, people to start rebuilding their lives. And I also call on the international community to provide the required resources that will enable the international community to save lives in the short term, but also invest in early recovery development moving ahead. And finally, achieving the Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, will not be possible without investing more in women. That's the view of UN Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohammed, who led a high-level group of women leaders to two African countries this month. Joining Ms. Mohammed in Nigeria and the Democratic Republic of the Congo DRC were the Executive Director of UN Women, the UN Special Representative on Sexual Violence in Conflict, and the African Union Special Envoy on Women, Peace and Security. Dian Pan has more. Speaking during their first stop in Nigeria's capital, Abuja, Ms. Mohammed stated that the delegation had come to the continent to discuss the general issues of peace, security and development with an emphasis on women's rights and empowerment. We know that uh, from the economy to stability and peace, we're not able to achieve our goals if we're only investing in half of the population. It is a nation and a continent's greatest asset, the human resource. Women are often half of it, but lack the investments that we need. The 17 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, have been described as a to-do list for creating a world where no one is left behind. They were agreed by world leaders two years ago and have a deadline of 2030. 
Ms. Mohammed noted that the push for sustainable development had become more complex in recent years, and although SDGs such as ending extreme poverty and providing education were important, new factors had to be taken into account. The context that we are living in is that of conflict, extremism that is within many of、um, our countries, and in particular Nigeria. So here, what we really want to do is to hear and bring the messages、um, of women. Women in decision making, women at, at, who bear the brunt and carry the burden of many of the tragedies that we see,、uh, to see how we can come out of this, how we can be a constructive partner in finding the solutions to sustainable development. The Democratic Republic of the Congo has also been plagued by conflict and other challenges, and the UN Deputy Chief said the delegation hoped the DRC's women will help to change the narrative. At a meeting with officials in the capital Kinshasa, she also outlined aspirations related to the elections slated to be held before the end of the year. Ms. Mohammed said women must be part of the process. DRC is exceptional in that it has a constitution, it has a law, but it must reinforce that law to implement the participation and parity of women. A parity of women beyond the numbers, to see them in decision making, to see a very good opportunity for monitoring of the elections, that it is inclusive, that it is fair, that opposition itself has a place, because in every democracy, a vibrant opposition is the integrity and the hope for、uh, strengthening the foundations for democracy. UN Deputy Secretary General Amina Mohamed speaking to reporters in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And those were just some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and in the Catholic Church. You're still listening to Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Coming up next is our woman feature. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I am expected to aspire to marriage. I am expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage, and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political, and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our woman feature. This evening we focus on women in business.
described as the public relations doctor by her peers, Madeleine is the managing director of PR Works, a full-service marketing communications agency which she established in 2001. With 22 years in-depth industry experience based on an impressive consulting and corporate career, the firm has achieved remarkable success under Madeleine's leadership. They say behind every successful man there is a strong, wise and hard-working woman, but in Madeleine's case was exactly the opposite. Let's listen. Madeleine, you have 22 years of experience in this industry and you have also backed of course um awards in the business awards, women business awards. You have a family, you run a family, so you practically uh full your hands are practically full and still you manage to be the best of the best when it comes to everything that you do talk to us about your experience and how you cope with this Uh Shayla thank you so much first of all you're making me sound like I'm absolutely ancient I'm really not that old I'm only 102 <laughs> <laughs> Uh but thank you very much for the opportunity I, I'm really really thrilled and honored to be speaking to you Um I think maybe I can just take a step back, you know, just in terms of how PR Works was started and how things materialized. Certainly. Um I I started PR Works uh, almost 16 years ago, uh 13th of October 2001 to be quite specific. Um so prior to that I was in charge of SAA's worldwide corporate communications function and that I was also their spokesperson and that obviously meant that I would travel all over the world and um I was their media spokesperson worldwide so my time was really really limited uh you know some months I used to be away from home about 2 to 3 weeks out of a month um at that stage I had a 10 year old daughter and my son was 12 and I remember while well, I was in that position for about 6 or 7 years and I remember speaking to my daughter and I was in Miami and her normal phone call would go something along the lines of oh mom i miss you so much when are you coming home that type of thing and when she started the conversation off with where are you and what did you buy me i realized that that i had big big trouble and <laughs> um, yeah um, and and then i realized you know what my yeah. my children are growing up very quickly and uh, even though my husband at that start at that stage was a full-time parent Um, and that was also very, very uh, controversial for those days. You know, he was in the police, and he was actually the one who he was a, a, a detective. He was actually the one who uncovered the uh, Wimmerpan serial killers. So he was really, really good at his job. And we decided that uh, with me traveling so much and him working shifts and obviously crazy hours to to catch the bad guys, um, we needed to give one way or another. And he actually decided to quit his job to give me an opportunity to pursue my career. and he raised the children but you know when i had this conversation with my daughter i realized that even though my husband was absolutely superb with the kids um you know i was being an absent mother and i remember after that conversation that i had with her i decided to start up PR works i had never worked for an agency before uh, i was always on the the corporate side so i used to work with PR agencies and tell them exactly what i needed or where i needed their help um but i had never worked on um on the agency side so i decided to leave and to start up my own business and fortunately for me the media were um very excited about this new prospect and um they published my story and come um phoned me and they said we believe you're in the market would you like your first client and i said how oh, yes 
Amazing. Yeah, so that was 15 and a half years ago. Wow. And I always said to people that, you know, PR Works will never be the biggest PR agency in South Africa, but we would be the best. And I think that is something that we have proved consistently over the years. You know, we've won Best PR Agency in Ekurileni for seven consecutive years. We've won Best in Doburg, Best in South Africa, Best in Africa, and we even won a second place in the world. At uh, the last PRISM Awards, uh, we entered 15 categories, and we won 12 of those. So I think we're clearly doing something right. And when I spoke to a client of mine the other day, he said to me, you know, what makes PR work so different? And I said to him, it's because I never worked in an agency. You know, so I didn't have any of the processes or the red tape or um, systems and procedures, you know, the formalities in place. When I started at PR Works, I thought to myself, as a corporate company, what would I want from a PR agency? How would I like them to deliver? What should that turnaround time be? How, what should that interaction be? And those were the elements that I implemented in the business, and I actually think it works. Beautiful, beautiful story. Despite the fact that you missed out on your children's life, you have turned out to be somebody that has made an impact on so many people's lives. You touch so many people's lives. You have created employment for both men and women. And besides that, you are quite privileged to have a husband who was willing to make the sacrifices he made to see you succeed. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, shall I just tell you, in terms of the successes of my own children, I'm very, very proud of them. Um, you know, my daughter also won a Woman of the Year award. Um, she was actually awarded as the Youth Ambassador for South Africa. Uh, she runs her own empowerment program, which is called Desk Bags. Um, she produces school bags out of recycled vinyl billboard materials, which she then um, turns into a hybrid satchel. So it's a proper school bag that then folds open onto the child's lap where the desk is reinforced with an ABS plastic to give them a mobile writing surface to help the 3.1 million children in South Africa who don't have school desks. I remember so I'm really, really to her. proud. Yeah. I'm sorry? No, I'm saying I remember speaking to her about that project. I didn't know she was oh, a daughter. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful oh, stuff. Awesome. Yeah, so, so I'm really, really proud of her achievements as well. And then um, in terms of my son, he's a graphic designer, and he basically works full-time for God. He works in a church, and he does all of the graphic design work for 600 churches worldwide. So I think in terms of my children's achievements, um, I'm really, really proud of what they've done. Uh, a client actually said to me the other day that, you know what, if you look at a child's achievements, you can see the dad's involvement. And I thought to myself, oh, my word, that's not something that I'm going to repeat to my husband because then he knows their successes are 100% his. <laughs> amazing, um, beautiful story. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So, um, yeah, and you know what, in terms of my husband, he really gave up a lot. He sacrificed a lot. Like I said, you know, he was an amazing detective. And um, thanks to him, you know, I had that opportunity to grow my career. And uh, he now works hand in hand with me on various projects. Um, and he's, a, he's actually quite the creative marketer, let me tell you. So it was not just from a police uh, or a detective side. He really is quite the creative marketer. Now, Madeleine, let's talk about the work that you do in terms of creating that job opportunity for other young people. Let's talk about yes. that aspect of your work. I think it really is quite simple, Sheila. It depends on the individual. Um, I am absolutely passionate about empowering people, and you know, whether it was initially through the Death Bags program, which I started and passed on to Shannon, 
or through mentorship programs. Uh, you know, I've got two employees, um, and I, I really don't like the word employees. I've got two team members that work with me and never for me, um, who started on an intern level. And, you know, they worked their way up the ranks. I saw um, that they had some talent, and I invested quite a lot of time and resources and obviously finances into them to make sure that they would get up to that level. And they're currently um, employed as account directors at PR Work. So I think in terms of any young person that wants an opportunity, you know what, give your employer a reason to push you. Um, if I have young people with talent, which I really and truly believe that all, all of the um, young ladies at PR Works have talent, um, and if they want me to push them hard, they know that I am going to push and push and push until they succeed. I'm going to make sure that they get thrown into the deep end, but they always know that my door is open and they can come in and they can ask me a hundred questions or they can ask the same question a hundred times provided that they come in there with a black book and they write down what I say to them and they absolutely absorb the information that I give them. Uh, and I think the same thing applies to any other employer. If you've got somebody that you believe has great talent, you know, invest time in them, invest resources in them, invest finances in them, send them on training, uh, use yourself as a mentor and help and guide them through their process because at the end of the day, if you've got happy employees, you've got happy clients. Wow. And the recipe really is as simple as that. Any last words that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much, Anna. Right now, PR Works is gro- uh, going through a massive, massive growth spurt, and we are desperately looking for um, people that can join our dynamic team. So if your uh, listeners are qualified as communications or marketing officers or managers, PR managers, uh, they really need to contact us at info at prworks.co.za. Um, because PR Works really is Africa's greatest public relations um, agency, and that's not just on paper, and it's not just because of the awards. Uh, I think our staff and our clients uh, will testify to this, and new talent is always welcome. So if if they can take me up on that offer, I would really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, Madeline. It's been an awesome pleasure talking to you, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Hala. It was a real pleasure talking to you. You've been listening to Catholic Views Woman Feature. Should you wish to participate in this feature, feel free to email me, Shayla at radioveritas.co.za. Well, that brings me up to time. This has been your Thursday's edition of Catholic View. Thank you so much for listening. Remember that I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Shayla Pirsch.